My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 129 of the podcast that is taking you on a journey through all of the adventures of the Marvel superhero universe from the beginning, the Fantastic Four number one in November 1961, and going all the way up to the end of June 1966. That's where we are tonight, Mike. Is that where we are? June? I should open that up. Oh, that was a long month. Big month. I mean, sort of. technically it's June, but this is June 30th, and so it's basically the first week of July. Yeah, but then when you, when you open it all up on one page, it just looks bigger for some reason. Yeah, yeah. So these are the first week of July books, really, but they have been pushed forward, uh, pushed you know a little bit into the other month. It happens every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our coverage... Tonight, as my voice breaks for no reason, is Thor 132, Daredevil 20, Sergeant Fury 34, and Strange Tales 149. You know, our episode count has almost reached our Thor count. Wow. And we don't have any king or special or giant or anything this nope. episode. So nope. just back no to extra normal. annuals. Back for, to normal. For a couple more episodes anyway, there will be more... More king size coming at you oh, in a couple goody. of episodes. Oh goody! Yeah, we gotta have um, gotta have Spider Man try to join the Avengers and. Oh well, that will be fun. Yeah. All right. So I guess to start us off, yeah, we have uh, Thor uh, bashing up some machinery with his hammer, while yep. Jellians are all around him going, "Oh no! What is this man doing to our stuff with his hammer? He's smashing yeah. it, having a smashing good time." Look, right. his cape. His cape is not invulnerable. What do you mean? Oh, there's, there's a guy a, there's shooting a, a laser through it. Shooting a beam right through. I was looking for like um, tears or holes in it, but no, there's a guy shooting a beam through his cape. Well, All I right. mean, this is 1966, right? So at Superman's this point, cape. like Superman's cape is invulnerable, but not Thor's. Most definitely. Well, that's because um, Superman does not have an astonishing script by Stan Lee. Awesome what? artwork, Jack Kirby, because they would always redraw Kirby Superman faces. Artful delineation, Vince Coletta. Amazing lettering by Sam Rosen. And alien translations by Irving Forbush. Is that a true thing? Oh my gosh. The Jack they Kirby. Would re- they would redraw his faces? Yes. In, um, oh in the Fourth World books. You know, one of those series was Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. So when Kirby would draw uh, Superman in the stories, um, his face wasn't as on model at, cause that was Kirby the, in his blockiest era, right? Yeah. Over the course of the seventies, the, the Superman books became more diverse artistically, but mm-hmm. in 1970, you're like, it's Kurt Swanner bust. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of like whatever, uh, um, Joe Schuster would go redo, not redo, but the Superman faces in the golden age, early golden age were always left to Joe Schuster to draw. Um, and in this case, Joe, Jack Kirby was drawing faces, but they were redrawing them. Well, I do have to admit that Kurt or, uh, uh, uh Jack Kirby and Kurt Swan are not very similar no. in style. So they're, they're not, they're <laughs> not. Um, so yeah, this is where gods may fear to tread. Thor is on his way to Rigel. Uh, far away star. Uh, the comic says it's another galaxy, and I think that Stan just doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, and the uh, the whole thing is that this like this Rigelian colonizer Tana Nile has set up this space lock 
this beam that's being shot all the way from Rigel to hold Earth in place or something like that. And so mm-hmm. Thor hopped a bus, or rather hopped the Rigelian ship that was going back home to make them remove their space lock. He has beaten up the Rigelians, um, and so the other Rigelians think he's an enemy, and he's like, turn off the space lock. Um, his ship gets to a Rogelian space station. Uh, they try to stand against him, but he goes to town with his hammer. Back on Earth, Tana Nile thinks that she's like in charge of Earth now. So, in full <laughs> Rogelian swelled headed regalia, she goes about the sidewalks, letting the populace see their new ruler so they can learn to recognize her as their master. A police officer puts her in a cab. <laughs> And the cab just starts driving off. And the cab driver's like, so, uh, what's going on? (laughs) She's like, I'm going to rule the world. And he's like, yeah, really? She's like, yep, because we have a space lock on your planet. And, um, you know, it's going to get really troublesome pretty soon. Back on Rigel, they shoot a robot at Thor. And Thor's like, shut up, robot. And they fight. And Thor smashed him with his hammer, but he doesn't smash very easily. In fact, he stands there and takes the smashing and keeps on bashing hey um he you he has like a, a a mandarin ring on his finger that like shoots mm-hmm. a beam so thor like grabs him and makes him hit himself with it <laughs> stop stop shooting yourself stop shooting yourself stop shooting yourself. <laughs> so they're like okay that guy's down and thor is like all right now turn off the stupid space lock and the uh the virgilia is like man we're super scared of this guy yeah only the dot 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 Black Galaxy dot 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 can <laughs> make me as scared as Thor is right now, and yeah. so yeah, um, me so we are going to go check out the Black. No, we're not. Uh, what are we doing? Um, we're gonna call the guy in white. There's one guy in white. Yeah, this guy in white. What is he doing? I never desired to be Grand Commissioner of Rigel. The burdens of my supreme office are too much for any one man. But since I'm the smartest dude in the world, um, anyways, so. He's been monitoring the threat from the Black Galaxy, and he's like, oh no, things are going bad. Um, I swear I read this, folks, but it's just. He just goes, basically goes to talk to Thor. It's his job. And he tells Thor, you know, stop fighting us and start fighting the Black Galaxy. Okay. And Thor gets pulled down onto, I guess, the Rigel planet because he's like, an unseen force is drawing me down to the colonizers. And basically, he just keeps misunderstanding every single thing that happens and hitting his hammer with it. But mm-hmm. uh, dude in white, old smart dude in white, it's like, no, 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 no. Stop. Like you said, stop fighting us. Look at this giant map on the wall. It's, it's like the size of the Pentagon. Um, the black galaxy is over here. It's the most deadly area in all the universe. It would be really great if you would just help us out and go there and stop it. He's like, fine. I shall enter the black galaxy. So speaketh Thor. And so the Rogelians send Thor off with a recorder, who is basically an android Rogelian, who uh, is basically a, a computer in the shape of a person. And he's going to record everything that happens. So while they're going to the Black Galaxy, Jane Foster is on a plane. She's leaving on a jet plane, and she does not know when she'll be back again, because she is under Tana Nile's control and just doing what she was told to leave. And sitting next to her is Littleface from the Dick Tracy comics. <laughs> I thought it was Egghead, but is it really supposed to be Egghead, or is it just a dude? 
It is not supposed to be Egghead. Okay. It is specifically a dude. Like, this is a person. Um, but, like, an actual person we're supposed to care about? Not yet, but we oh. will. Like, we're going to, okay. like, like, Jane is, is segueing into another plot line. Okay. It's, it's, they're, they're becoming very diffed, deft at, like, knitting and weaving the plot lines yeah. in and out. They're always setting stuff up while other stuff is happening. So this is well, what's going on there. This guy did seem awfully creepy for just a random stranger. So I thought maybe he was mm-hmm. supposed to matter at some point. but He makes a somewhat uh, loaded statement that he also had no other choice but to leave the city. Right. So whatever that yeah. means. Yeah. Meanwhile, Thor and the recorder fly off to the Black Galaxy. And turns out it's not actually a galaxy. That's just a hyperbolic misnomer. It's just this really black zone of space where no light escapes, but it's not a black hole. It's basically just a big old space cloud. So they fly into the space cloud and it's a bioverse. It's like they've gone into a giant cell in space, like, like, like they're the enterprise and, and it's, you know, the immunity syndrome or something. But instead they see a face the size of a planet and it's Kurt Russell. And he says, I've been waiting for you, son. Come here, Star-Lord. I'm Ego, the living planet. Wow. I did not expect that. I mean, you've probably read all these before, but I did not think that's what the black thing was going to be in the center of the universe. I didn't realize we're getting there that quickly. I knew it was related to this whole Rigel thing in the black galaxy, but I didn't realize it happened just now. It's kind of funny how... 180 I can get about stuff like I'm sitting here reading it and it's like rolling my eyes like oh god they're talking about the stupid black galaxy again and oh god they're gonna send Thor to the black galaxy how many issues of that is this gonna be and then I turn the page it's like ooh ego I'm interested (laughs) now I want more it is a planet with a person's shape Mm -hmm. again one of the photo collages that I definitely think is more effective than his earlier efforts yes this looks like kind of ominous and surreal and weird it's neat Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like it Um, yeah this is this is a really good comic (laughs) I enjoyed it quite a bit yeah for some reason Thor traveling around in space beating up alien things is fun it was very fighty very very fighty but Mm -hmm. not necessarily lesson for that which I feel like is a qualification we're making a lot with thor comics but like there's just there's a lot of fighting but we're still really enjoying it and that's just kind of maybe that's just what kirby thor is at its height wow there's a lot of fighting going on but there's enough other cool story to make this really cool and fun and thor fighting is pretty cool because he looks cool when kirby draws him fighting Mm -hmm. um i totally loved this business with uh what's her face like i was thinking about that last issue like her whole plot is she she puts a thing around the earth, Dalek style, and captures it. And basically, she says, now I'm your ruler, and if you don't do what I say, I can move us a little to the left or a little to the right and destroy your environment, right? Um, so, of course, everybody's going to do what she says. But I started thinking, like, really would that happen? Like, if someone said, I have this thing around your planet, and I can move you to the left or the right, would all of us cooperate? Because right now, I'm feeling like we're not a great species for cooperation uh, when it's yeah. good for us. So, like, I kind of like that she's just walking down the street like, I'm your leader now. And everybody's like, what? And the cop's like, you want me to take you to our leader? Sure. Here's a cab. You know, like, she doesn't (laughs) – like, what's the actual plan? And even if, by the way, we all refuse and she decides, okay, fine, I'll punish you by moving you – moving the Earth out of its orbit, 
Like, doesn't that basically ruin the planet that she's trying to rule? Because it's going to put us in an ice age or something and kill everything. Yeah, because that's the thing that sci-fi stories tend to just gloss over. Mm-hmm. The Earth, the Earth is not a giant mass. The Earth is like a giant collection of particles mm-hmm. held together by gravity and bubble gum. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you move it, you're going to have different densities moving at different velocities, and it is going to tear the planet apart. So yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, maybe the, she's she's new on the job. She hasn't done this before, and maybe she just doesn't realize you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, and that's another thing they never like. They never really think ahead as like, well, what. What's the plan after you rule, you know? What are you getting out of it? Yeah, I feel like, okay, so Marvel is guilty of contributing to the take over the world trope. Like, they, Mm -hmm. they, I feel like they're kind of standing it on its head here. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. That Tana is going to take over the world. Everyone's just like, okay, she is just a person walking down the sidewalk in funky clothes. Mm -hmm. So she's going to take over the world, huh? Okay. That said, she does have, at least on a limited ability, she has the ability to make Thor kneel. By telling him to. Or not even that. She just said hi. Also, she has the ability to, uh, at least on a limited level, like make guys like Thor kneel and Jane Foster jump on trains and planes and go away just because she told her to. And they haven't really gone back to that unless no. unless the police officer and cab driver are being so polite to her because of her influence. I don't know. I don't know. It was just a funny scene, though. Yeah, definitely a funny scene. Um, giant robot is a giant robot. Mm-hmm. He takes him down very humorously. I really love the space tech these Rigelians have. Yeah. Um, it's they have just teleporters. Yeah. Yeah. The teleporters and, and the look of the ships. This is pre Star Trek, basically. Yeah. Still pre Star Trek. Um, so you don't have like the copying of that. They're just like, you know, Trying to make cool-looking spaceships, and I think it's really working. They call it a structural disassembler on his home planet. It emerges in the structural restorer, which is probably a more accurate way to explain what teleporting really horrifically is, if you think about it. So that's kind of cool. That is kind of cool. The whole yeah, they basically kill you on one end and then bring you back to life on the other. <laughs> um, <laughs> so many Star Trek stories have been done that like explore the morality of that. Are, are we cloning right. people? Is it the same soul? Right. Yeah. Can't if, uh, John, if John Wilson gets sick and dies, can't I just pull him back up from like a, a copy we had last time he teleported somewhere and just start him over? That should be possible. If right. You have, if you have the matter to like re-encode into the Matrix, then yeah, mm-hmm. you should be able to just recreate me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to expect you to do that, okay? Yeah. We'll, we'll just keep recre- recreating one each other so uh-huh. the podcast never ends. Yeah, there you go. Um, I was kind of expecting the Black Galaxy to not be an actual galaxy because, I don't know, galaxies are really big and really far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this isn't the Delta Quadrant probably, but... Yeah. But, um... Uh, the, the recorder guy, I think, is a guy who ends up being used more than this He someday. sticks around surprisingly long time. Yeah. Uh, he keeps showing up. He'll show up in different stuff. He hangs out with the Watcher for a while. Yeah, exactly. With Rodney the Watcher or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was Roger the Watcher. Thank Roger. you very much. That's right. Because it kind of sort of rhymes, you know, Roger Watcher. Roger um, but yeah, so he will He will be, I think he's probably, for me at least, the most famous Virgilian character is the recorder. 
Because yeah, he was I guess seen I him never time. realized that's where he came from. I just kind of recognized him. But yeah, we're going to a bioverse and we meet the Black Planet, the Black Planet. Mm-hmm. We meet Ego, the Living Planet, in the Black Galaxy, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's time for more cosmic stuff next time. Should be fun. So then we have the Dark Horse of Death. Script writing Stanley, picture drawing Jack Kirby, panel inking Vince Coletta, word lettering Sam Rosen, and armor polishing Irving Corbush. That sounded wrong. <laughs> so we have defeated the hordes of Harrikan, and it is time to rest, Thor says to his warriors of Asgard. And they're like, no, we're not going to rest. We're going to fight some more. And Thor says, no, let's have a party. Let's get some showers and some music. And so they all take baths together. Um, and while they're hanging out in a hotel or something, suddenly this black horse starts riding. Oh, I know what it is. Because the people of Hurricane are about to bury Hurricane. And so the black horse of death is coming for the warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we can talk more about this in a minute. But, like, everyone's running away from the Black Horse of Death because they don't want to be the one it comes for. But I feel like you would know if you had been killed. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that would I feel like that wouldn't stop a horse of death running away. <laughs> right, 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 right. So um, Thor and the Warriors three go to the fallen chieftain Hurricane, whose wounds are too many and his strength is uh, uh, seeping out of his body. And Hurricane's like, it's the Dark Horse of Death has come at last. So they all say their farewells to Harakin, who has fought his final battle, and outside the hotel, the horse is kind of standing there waiting for Harakin. He's like, come on, I got places to be, horses to see, and next issue, the Phantoms of Valhalla. Boy, this was kind of like a nothing happened story, huh? Sort of? It's like an epilogue, you know? Sort of like... Yeah. Like, oh, no, a horse is coming. A horse is coming. Hurricane, a horse is coming. Yeah, it's there for me. Okay, cool. The end. If the Dark Horse of Death is an actual Norse, you know, concept, I kind of like that they brought it in here. Mm -hmm. I get the feeling. I haven't looked at Gene's comments. I have a feeling it's not, but. um, That would be sad, but it feels like it should be. Yeah. Having a little epilogue where they can bring in the Norse idea of what happens in your afterlife is kind of neat. Um, On page one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan is like, even now the barbarian chieftain lies in bed nursing his battle. Oh, wait, you know, I'm looking at the wrong page. Page two. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Page two. Um, yeah. Okay. So Fondral makes a joke. Mm-hmm. And um, Hogan is just like, yeah, uh, stop. That doesn't matter. Victory's ours. And Fondral is like, truly, Hogan, you be a master in battle, thou art but a fledgling in matters of humor. And I'm like, okay, sometimes I am Fondral, and the rest of the world is Hogan. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you know what, y'all? Lighten up. Y'all, y'all can laugh at my jokes sometimes. It would make me feel, feel better. But um, the joke with Volstag on page four is, is great, but it's also well-timed because this is a July book. So uh-huh. it's on, um, he says, uh, tush, Hogan, I was, I was chilled by the cool north wind. That's why I was trembling in battle. And Hogan's like, in July, enormous one? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But not a whole lot else to this. No, I'm interested if it's like real or not. But otherwise, yeah, it was a pretty quick one. That last panel of the horse kind of looks like the horse is like leaving. Too short. Too short. And too short for the window. Yeah. 
Because yeah. Thor's standing in there, and he's a lot taller than that horse. Yeah, yeah. It's messed up. Drawing horses is not easy, probably. But So, we have an Asgardian advisor for the show, mm-hmm. Gene Gene, the podcasting machine. Uh, Gene Hendricks is a podcast maker and listener of some renown. And being a worshiper of the Norse gods, he contributes some thoughts on these tales of Asgard. So, he writes in, as I said before, they needed a different name for this city. Surtur would not be happy if Thor claimed that he had liberated Muspelheim. So, yeah, Thor is, uh, Thor is liberating Surtur City. That would not be good. The Black Stallion of Doom, huh? Nope. Darn it. <laughs> not Norse in the slightest. Oh, well. The closest you could get, and this is a stretch, is that the Valkyries ride horses. Yeah, we've all heard of the Valkyries. That's true. He says, I wonder if it occurred to Jack to draw the horse on skis yes i just made a black racer joke <laughs> uh the black racer whenever the 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 fourth world god of death comes to get you on skis <laughs> on skis he's skiing through the spaceways put I that in it, a movie dc let's see let's see you make that legit why you gotta I mean, be black marvel marvel has its surfboard and dc has its skis yes yes i wonder if he the, thought like well the surfboard worked what are right. some other what are some other vacation riding things that people could ride? Skis. Skis. Daredevil. <laughs> oh yeah, you want to talk about Daredevil? That's hey, if you're ready. I'm ready. Daredevil number 20. The verdict is death. Um wow, this is a really big credits box for some reason. Script, smiling Stan Lee, penciling Jazzy John Romita. Had to polish off the 25 cent Spider-Man special this month, so look who generously offered to pinch hit for old ring-a-ding this-ish, Gentleman Gene Colon. So penciling Gene Colon. Whew, that was a lot. Inking fearless Frank Giacoyawa. Giacoyawa. Lettering adorable Artie Samek. Bad guy booer honest Irving Forbush. The strangest, most fantastic trial of all time. And wait till you see who the prosecutor is. What? So, uh, Daredevil... Jumps into his office window, which is normally okay, except tonight, in the dark, there's like three thugs waiting for him. But no, actually, they're waiting for Matt Murdock. And they're like, you're not Matt Murdock. He's like, no, I'm not. Pow, sock, bam. And they run away. And he's like, that's weird. Why did those thugs want Matt Murdock? I'm going to follow them. Or maybe I'll just go home because I think I overheard them say... They're going to go to Mac Murdoch's apartment instead. So he travels quickly across the city faster than they can drive. And he beats them there and he hangs outside his own window and listens to them break in or actually use the key, the, I don't know, a key pass or something. Who cares? They go in, they look around, they don't see him. They go to his back bedroom. And while they're back there, uh, Daredevil pulls some Matt Murdoch clothes through the window, changes really quick on the building ledge. And then lets himself into his own apartment. So when the guys come back out of the bedroom, they're like, what? You were here the whole time? He's like, yep, capture me. Because he wants to know what's going on. So they capture him and they put him on a plane. And he's like, this is interesting. Meanwhile, uh, what's her face? Karen Page and Willie Lumpkin. No, no. Foggy Nelson uh, are uh, uh, looking for Matt. I think they go to his house or they go to the office and he's not there. So she laments about how worried she is because he's blind and Foggy's like, if only I were blind. If only she worried about me. 
I should make myself disappear too. Anyway, that's the last we see of them this issue. Because we cut to a volcanic James Bond villain type aisle. Um, it's got a giant castle with a big old owl on the head. So it's probably Dr. Doom. Um, nope, it's the owl. I lied. And he's there all excited with his binoculars and his group of cronies. And he's got a kidnapped victim named Judge Lewis. Now, old Judge Lewis, uh, Ghostbuster, tooed him, I guess, like was the guy who put him in jail originally. So he wants to hold his own trial. Um, he's been reading a lot of Joker comics, I guess. And uh, 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 so that's why he brought in Matt Murdock, because he wants a legit lawyer to defend this judge in his mock trial. So there's a bunch of thugs that are the witnesses. They have like eye patches and guns and look – or one of them wears a tuxedo. It's totally like straight up James Bond basically. Um, and they all want to just kill the judge and he has to keep – the owl has to keep like punching him around and hitting him and saying, I'm in charge here. See, I want a trial. So at some point, uh, Matt's like, OK, do you really want a trial? Yes. Do you want a fair trial? Mostly yes. OK. Well, then in that case, I should be able to call witnesses. That's true. You could call any witness you want. Uh, good luck finding one on this island. <laughs> so go ahead, go look. So they let Matt just wander off and go look for a witness on this aisle. Uh, but really what Matt does is he turns into Daredevil and he comes back and he says, oh, good thing Matt Murdock signaled me. I've been waiting back here this whole time. And he comes in and he fights. And they get into this big fight. And he's really kind of winning because he's Daredevil. And he's awesome. Except... Um, the owl gets the upper hand by throwing billiard balls on the floor, and that kind of makes uh, Daredevil trip up a little bit. And then he gets thocked in the face by Owl's uh, cane. And then as he's recovering from that, the owl presses a button, and this owl cage comes down from the ceiling, just like it did the last time they encountered each other. And it captures Daredevil. And then the owl and all his cronies surround the cage and say, The verdict. The trial has ended. The verdict is death. Next issue, the trap is sprung. It's good because he's in the trap, so we probably don't want him in there. I'm sitting here reading this thinking, wow, I didn't expect to really enjoy Silver Age Daredevil as much as I have been enjoying it these last several issues. This was pretty fun, especially for the owl because I remember not loving him. I Actually, the owl I loved at first, and then when he turned into an over-the-top villain halfway through the issue, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm kind of used to that's how he is, I kind of enjoyed this. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, I don't think he's too over the top in this. He's definitely playing the comic book villain. Uh, well, he's got his own island. He's got a castle with an owl motif. Um, he used to just be able to fly. Now, apparently, he has flight and super strength somehow. Super strength is he, unexpected. Yes. I don't know where that came from, but that's okay. Um, he has a proportionate speed and strength of an owl. <laughs> I uh, really, I yeah. really like his eyrie, his owl-shaped, you know, fortress. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a good picture of it in the comic, but there's a good one on the cover. Oh yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's cool. Yeah, the art is good. Gene Colan did a good job filling in. Okay, so about that, guess who's not coming back next? <laughs> John Romita. Yeah, he's gone. He's doing. Yeah. He has um, nothing at Spider-Man for a really long time after this. Mm-hmm. Which is a um, shame. I was enjoying his Daredevil, but of course Gene Colan Daredevil is nothing to sneeze at either. No, and Gene Colan is who I associate with Daredevil. Absolutely. Like, after the bumpy, silly, rocky start that Daredevil has had, 
when you get into like solid later Silver Age Daredevil, Gene Cole is who my picture. Mm-hmm. Um, side note, unrelated about John Romita. You know how we he did those uh, two or three Captain America chapters that you dug. Um, yeah. So I did not realize, but the fifties Captain America that was all John Romita. Yeah. I did not know that until like last week. Yeah, it didn't really look much like him because he was still probably finding his way back then. But yeah, it's pretty cool. So anyways, um, what else? Then Gene Colan did some Captain America too. So those guys get around. They get around. Get around, get around. Okay, so Matt Murdock hiding on his own sill to put on his own clothes is pretty great. But that also means he doesn't wear his clothes underneath his outfit, which makes sense because usually it's the other way around, right? Yeah, 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 usually put your civilian clothes on over your regular clothes. That's what I do. Um, I mean, I don't always wear a skin-tight spandex outfit under my clothes, but when I do, it's not the other way around. Yeah, that would be much harder. I want to eat page five. Uh, Yeah? It's It's pretty cool. uh, Yeah, it's just, just, I I don't know, the angle and the shadows and the faces. Very dramatic. Yeah, it's pretty great. This whole scene is fun where, like, he's just, uh, you know, eavesdropping and he doesn't have to be captured, but he lets himself be captured. It's cool. Um, Karen Page, it's easy enough to say not to worry about Matt, but you're forgetting one thing. He also happens to be blind. <laughs> right? Like, I don't think Foggy has forgotten that. I think he's saying that Matt has a lot of experience living his life and he's probably. A- no, he's wrong. Matt Murdock is not okay. But. Right. But you think Probably she, de- she would defer to Foggy on some level since he's known her long, he's known Matt longer. But I don't know. I Maybe know. it's like it's like the Captain America syndrome. You know, you only, you're only, he was only not in the Avengers for three issues. Uh-huh. And they held that held that over his head so much. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, not a whole lot else. Just some really cool owl faces. The swooped up hair. It's like almost Wolverine hair before Wolverine. Um. But it's not just the two swoops. It also has like a sort of a crown effect going around the back of his head in some images. I like his thugs because you got like all walks of life here. You got the guy with the the eye patch and the and the wife beater shirt and the Uzi, and then you got a thug wearing one of those caps and like cauliflower ears, and then you got like this elegant guy in a tux with a submachine gun, and mm-hmm. it's like where are these guys coming from? But I like it. And Matt Murdock is ready to play full lawyer on. Um, this judge here to try to get him safe. And then he realized that it's all a kangaroo court. Nothing else is going to matter. So he's like, I'm just going to come up with a reason to turn into daredevil. And he bashes through page 17. It's great. Yeah. So good stuff. Yep. Good stuff. But now he's trapped in in a a jail cell at the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just like last time he encountered the owl. Oh yeah. How did did he get out last time? He like uh, bent the bar or something like that. I don't remember. I think he, yeah. Didn't he like trigger the, because his he was like a, a bell cage suspended in the air or something, right? Yeah. Last time they left him alone, and he, it was him and uh, Karen together. Not in the same cage, but in the same room. Now they're mm-hmm. all surrounding him, and it's on the floor. So he can't do the same thing anyway. We'll see what happens. Maybe Matt Murdock right. will come back and help him. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Um, Matt Murdock walks in wearing a t-shirt that says, I am not Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> Sergeant Fury 34. Okay, at this point we change dates. We are leaving behind June 30th and coming into July 7th. 
And the chronologically earliest comic for July 7th is, of course, taking place in World War II uh, Blitzkrieg. The word that filled a continent with fear and spawned America's mightiest attack squad. The origin of the Howlers. You see, Timmy, when a mommy Howler and a daddy Howler love each other very much. Now, before we go into the origin of the Howlers, did you ever read the Howlers and think, I wonder what the origin of the Howlers are? Well, we never did find out how they got their superpowers. (laughs) But see, like, this reminds me of the Star Trek you know, the Abrams Star Trek is like, we're going to find out how they all got together. And it's like, you know, in a military system, I guess when I read about military things, I just don't wonder how people get together. It kind of yeah. just seems like it's assigned and that's how people get together. It's like, that's okay. um, how did he become a colonel? Well, he yeah, well. <laughs> probably got promoted at some point. <laughs> Armies do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. But that's um, cool. Let's go. Let's, we, not to say that this story is bad. I'm not, I'm not like a, you know being negative up front i was just saying like i just never was like hey i wonder how they hooked up i just assumed they were assembled yeah no it's true and if you're going to tell a story like that you got to find a way to make it matter and you know find the hook that's going to mean something and so really this is less of an origin of the howlers and more of a how nick fury mm-hmm. got involved in everything yeah um because as we find out nick fury was a civilian and you know being a sergeant a non-commissioned officer he was a civilian who's just you know in the army doing army stuff. Um, another Mighty Marvel Triumph, as prodigiously portrayed by the peerless editing of Stan Lee, the precocious scripting of Roy Thomas, the power-packed penciling of Dick Ayers, the pulse-pounding inking of John Tartaglioni, and the pussycat lettering of Sam Rosen. Oh, yeah. Every time I read the word pussycat out loud, in order to not sound gross, I have to turn it into jive. <laughs> Otherwise, I just feel like I'm saying something I shouldn't really be saying out loud. Right. Um, certainly not in a public podcast. Where you been, soldier? So um, Nick Fury is upset because all of the Howlers were left behind in Nazi territory. And it's been a solid week. And he wants to go rescue them. So he goes to Sam Sawyer. They yell at each other a little bit. And Sawyer's like, we can't. Go get them. We are putting together some ideas, but you can't go out there right now. Um, you didn't run out on them. They sacrificed themselves to save you. So you can get that Greek partisan leader um, to safety. So don't ruin their sacrifice by, you know, getting yourself killed. Um, and so if you're like, whatever, fine, that's 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 fine. Um, Sam does tell him that they're making plans with um, uh, military intelligence and he's like, okay, you got G2 working on this. That's fine. I'll go walk around in the rain. So Sam Sawyer stands there thinking, man, we've got to go save the Howlers. There's not much time to lose because they could be in danger. So let's tell a story. <laughs> because Professor that's X what my Marvel hero. does. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, we flash back to the early pre, okay, not pre-war days, but pre-America's entrance into the war. Um, for those of you who don't know your history, World War II was underway for a good two or three years before we decided to get involved after the attack on Pearl Harbor. So that was December 7th, 1941. This is spring of 1940, almost a solid two years earlier. And um, Nick Fury is, uh, he has been invited to um, England to train troops. Mm-hmm. So he's training British and American troops 
uh, for for flight, for skydiving, for parachuting, because that's you know something he knows how to do. Uh, he and his friend Red Hargrove. Red Hargrove is named Red Hargrove because he has red hair and he grew up in a Hargrove. I don't know that part, but the red hair <laughs> is the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam Sawyer's like, hey, you're being really, really hard on these guys. And Nick Fury's like, I've got to be hard on them, Sawyer. Uh, I've got to get like six months of training into like five minutes with these guys. So if they don't listen up, they're going to die out there. It's going to be my fault. So, you know, get off my back. And uh, we have find a little, little bit of a backstory on how he got, um, not drafted, but sort of like, you know, brought into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, he was just doing some really cool skydiving stunts or something. And uh, Army guy's like, hey, you should do this for us. So he's like, okay, fine. But I'm not signing up for no war. And uh, yeah, so we get some more stuff about like Nick Fury getting into a fight in a bar um, Sawyer wanting to recruit Fury and Hargrove to help him run a mission. So they reluctantly agree, and the three of them fly to the uh, English Channel, and they find this boat who shoots at them. Um, they get across to Europe. They fly over some of the pitiful scenes of the um, European countryside. Really, Sawyer has invited Fury and Hargrove on this mission because he thinks it'll help sway them and convince them that maybe joining up is a worthwhile uh, plan. But they are trying to pick somebody up. They know it's going to be the right person because there's going to be a white circle painted on top of their car. But just when they find a car with a white circle painted on top, they get shot down, they lose a wing, and they flump into the mud. So there's no way to get out of Europe now. So they get their um, their contact. He's like, yeah, the Nazi spy was uh, there, uh, was my driver. He ran off. And they go after the driver, and they come across a circus. And in this circus is a very strong man with a very big red mustache and a very big bowler hat. And his name is Dum Dum Dugan. And he is complaining about his wife and mother-in-law. So you notice <laughs> they got to be really him. Um, Fury and Dugan get into a fight for no reason, but they're like Klingons. That's just how they build respect for each other. Uh, they go after the chauffeur on a bicycle. The chauffeur is like, no, no, no. The Nazi spy was the guy back in the car. I'm the one escaping. He's a Gestapo agent. Like, oh, no, he's the one back in the car. We just left him back there. Um, But this guy still has the papers that they're trying to rescue. The Gestapo agent escaped empty-handed. So, like, cool. Now I've got, like, five of us here. We got the captain. We got the not-yet-the-sergeant. We got the not-yet-the-sergeant's best friend. We've got the person they're trying to rescue and we've got Dugan and now we're like a squad and so they got squadding around and uh, they fight some Nazis and they get on a boat and they run from a airplane and um, it's like a James Bond and World War II scene put together <laughs> one. Um, they finally find an allied boat in the English Channel they get to safety and Nick Fury uh, um, Sawyer thinks about how he talked to Fury and how uh Fury was kind of moved and Hargrove was moved by what they saw on the war and they decided to enlist. So they started going to the war together, um, fighting battles together, best buds, until Red was killed in battle. And at some point, Nick Fury, who's embittered by having lost his friend, does run across Sam Sawyer again. Sawyer has been 
um, transferred to the Rangers, the U.S. equivalent of Britain's Commandos. He was told to put together a squad of special troops because he could no longer do anymore because he got injured. And he sees Dugan and he sees Nick Fury. He's like, those guys are on my team. And they run into uh, a Jewish guy from New York, Izzy Cohen. Uh, they get a Southern guy, Reb Ralston. They get an Italian-born actor, Dino Manelli. They find a, um, a jazz musician, Gabriel Jones. And a fresh, young, freckle face off the farm, Jonathan Juniper. But my friends call me Junior. And uh, that's how they put together their squad of commandos. Mm-hmm. And now all those guys have gotten captured, well, except for Junior. He's dead. Uh, <laughs> Pinkerton came and replaced him. So those guys are all captured. And he's like, I've got to send Fury out there. So I'm going to run after Fury in the rain and tell him what the plan is. And now, next issue, four against the Third Reich. Which four? Whoa. You'll see. So be here. That's an order, soldier. But fantastic, I assume they meant. I, you know, probably. Well, we know that Reed and Ben are already here. So that should yeah, work. Yes, fantastic two-ish. Oh, and then Fury and Sawyer. Or Cap and Bucky, because so we know they're in here around here, too. So the, the original Fantastic Four. You know, we should just call it the Fantastic Four and put six on the team. Yeah, that would be awesome, because then it would throw off the enemy, you know. Right. We only they have to plan for four. Everybody. Oh, they have eight? What? What are they what? calling the Fantastic Four? Tricked you. It's all um, about branding. You want to know what origin I want to know, is how does yeah. the kid, the street urchin from Brooklyn, become an expert uh, aerial stuntman slash paratrooper? <laughs> like where did that come from that i mean not to say that i was under any doubt that fury could do stuff like that but it didn't seem like that was the expertise he brought to the table up until this issue i guess yeah um you're right i don't think there's been a single story that's been like nick fury is an expert parachuter right it's just one of those things that you have to learn how to do mm-hmm. in um in the war and maybe it's one of those things where he had some flight and some mm-hmm they have a different name for it when you go parachuting for a hobby, right? Uh, uh, it's called um, skydiving. Skydiving. Maybe he just had skydiving as a hobby. Yeah. And so they just brought him in because he was doing some impressive skydiving. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little bit odd of a choice, but it works. It's fine. Yeah. I just made me wonder because like the only other origin we've got from him is like how he was, you know, living on the streets and rough life and. True, true. Like, how where, does that translate? Where, where's the story where he meets the old guy with a plane hanger who teaches him how to fly and jump out <laughs> of airplanes and stuff, you know? I don't know. It's very rocketeer. You'd think that'd be more like in Kentucky than Brooklyn or something. But True. There's not a whole lot of, like, uh, random airstrip space right. in Brooklyn, is there? Right, right, right. Um, so I was thinking, like, you know, <clears throat> he is the leader of his tight group, but his tight group is all about violence, and he's all about violence, and he's a hothead, and he'd rather punch first than think things through. And there's this whole scene where, like, and rightly so, Sam's like, um, you can't just go in there with a machine gun. We actually have to figure out what's going on with them and where they might be, and then we'll make a plan, and then you'll go. So right now, the only thing you can do is pace back and forth and be frustrated, right? Which is a good thing and a thing a leader should say. And I wonder if, you know, someday Nick Fury is not going to just be head of a bunch of punching guys. He's going to be head of S.H.I.E.L.D., a.k.a. run the United States, if not the world. And has he ever in the history of his 
his comic existence thought to himself like, oh, so this is what it was like to be Sam Sawyer sometimes, you know, that to make would harder be, decisions. That would be friggin' fantastic. Yeah. If like, you know, later Bronze Age, early 90s age, Nick Fury mm-hmm. standing there in his, you know, full body dark jumpsuit with his patch and his Reed Richards sideburns. Mm hmm. You know, telling the people not to be so rash and to think things through and look at the big picture. And I've got all these other, you know, pans in the fire. If you're just, you know, making an acknowledgement that <laughs> his Sam general, Sawyer yeah, yeah. Is, is kind of what he's modeling himself after. Mm-hmm. That'd be rad. Um, I don't even think Shield Fury is there yet. He still seems very much like this Fury so far. But Yeah, yeah, he really does. I, I, I doubt he becomes like Mr. Super Spy until like maybe he just becomes a guest star in other books eventually. He's just like that you know, entity that shows up once in a while. There is a storied run of S.H.I.E.L.D. from uh, Starenko. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that that's going to go a lot towards making the both Nick Fury and the organization of S.H.I.E.L.D. a lot more like what we think of it as in the comics. Right. I could be wrong. but And, and that's... Not super far away. I mean, I think it starts within the next year. Yeah, fun. I've never read that. So, and I know that's like a very uh, famous run. So, it should be interesting. My cat is trying to get on my computer. Cat, get he off my computer. To be part of the podcast. He does. The as dog as podcast. Mess up my audacity. We're okay. All right. So, yeah, fun little origin story for the Howlers. Mm-hmm. Um, not really expecting it coming off of the cliffhanger of the, um, what is it? The capture of the Howlers? Yeah. That's pretty great. I mean, Dum Dum came out of that circus, and I just thought immediately, of course that's where he came from. Of <laughs> the course circus he's that just... was randomly going across England well, for no reason, I just mean, Europe came... for no reason. No, he's had a, he's had a, a what is that kind of hat? A derby hat and a, must, and a walrus mustache, handlebar mustache, and striped shirt this entire series. So, of course he came from the circus, and I never put those two together. Okay. That's his thing. He's a strong man from the circus. That's how he has always looked. <laughs> so that gelled just fine with me. It's like, oh, that's yeah, great. of course that's where he came from. And R.I.P., uh, you know, Junior. That was kind of a cool little nod. It was weirdly nostalgic. It was kind of like, yeah. oh, this yeah. guy did die really yeah. early in the series run. No one else can die because we've seen him in the future, but he died. Do Do Cap and Nick talk about their lost sidekicks ever? <sighs> like... He lost Red. Is that a big deal for him, or is that a throwaway this issue? It should be a big deal for him. Yeah. But I have a feeling it's not going to be. I mean, it's it's like Gwen Stacy and Spider-Man, right? Like, it, like it should haunt him forever. Right. You would think. Because this That's is Red. Right. I mean, we didn't talk about this, but this is the same Red that was in the Nick Fury origin we got. Mm-hmm. Right? They make an explicit right. reference to that. So they, they knew what they were doing whenever they wrote this as far as taking stuff they'd already established mm-hmm. and expounding on it. So he mess he he lost his childhood friend in the war. So yeah, you'd think they'd both like have coffee over that or something sometime. But anyway, on to Strange Tales, more Nick Fury. Yes. Number 149. The end of AIM or AIM has done it. Gotten past an airtight security system into the very heart of Shield headquarters. Not only that, but they've managed to capture a life model decoy robot, an exact cybernetic copy of Nick Fury himself. That's all the synopsis you're going to get, Marvelites, because we're just as anxious as you are to see what happens. I love when they give a synopsis because now I remember what's going on. Okay. Yes. Edited by Stanley, layouts by Jack Kirby, script by Dennis O'Neill, art by 
Ogden Whitney. Uh, lettering by Artie Semek. Ammunition by Forbush Pyrotechnic Co. And so, yeah, they're escorting this, like, underwear-clad Nick Fury robot out the building. Um, they've got everybody knocked out. But little do they know that the whole time that was kind of Nick's plan because Dum Dum and a whole bunch of S.H.I.E.L.D. dudes with guns are, like, watching them do this. And so they all load up to go on over there and confront them. And little note also, it's not actually a live model decoy they got. It's Nick himself. And he busts out the latest and greatest Karoom gun. And it blows them all away. And then he picks up the little bed that he was laying in as a fake robot. And he starts using it as a shield. And he, like, knocks them all over. There's only three of them. So this is not his hardest day. Um, Meanwhile, back at the shield base, everybody's still tripping that Nick jumped out the window seemingly to his death. What's that guy's name? Royale. Royale is, like, all excited and running away. But, um, um, um... Not Snively, not Sniver. Um, Frick. Why can't I not remember his name? Uh, Stillwell? Stillwell. Stillwell has like a cool Tony Stark, like, I don't know what you call it, blow dart thing, that mm-hmm. spider tracer, and he puts it on the dude, right? And then he tells everybody to calm down. Once Royale leaves, he tells everybody else to calm down. This was Nick's plan the entire time. Um, meanwhile, the AIM guys that Nick beat up are running away and just coming around they make it to a road they're running through the forest they make it to a road and just coming around the corner is a secret empire guy in a car and he pulls over and he's like hey i'm from the secret empire (laughs) see the hood i don't know why that's cracking me up right now so bad but it just seems bonkers it's just so random you're just you're in the you're in the beehive suits running down the street and then this car drives up with the guy with the hood Hey, I'm from the Secret Empire. Oh, we're from Abe. We both work for them. Yeah, let me give you a lift. So they jump in. But guess what? The dude's not really from the Secret Empire. It's Gabe. And he presses a button and like this limousine barrier glass thing comes up and he gasses them. And then he says, yeah, I can't wait to tell you this story in Tales to Astonish number 83 in five months. So that's weird. But put a pin in it, I guess. Astonish 83 was the flashback. That's well, when did Gabe get, happen in Astonish 83? He killed all the other Secret Empire guys. He was the one who killed all the other Secret Empire guys. My God, but they didn't say it was Gabe. That That's the reveal right here. Oh, my gosh. I didn't put that together. Yeah. Also, I told that seems you, really evil somehow. I told but, you it was a person. Yeah, the oh. Secret Empire guy, number nine, right? Number nine, who killed all the other ones except number one. It wasn't there that day. Uh-huh. That was totally Gabe Jones the whole time. Okay, we're over, gonna, over in Shield, they're all like, "Where Gabe Jones been? Where's Gabe? If only Gabe Jones were here." Oh my god, we are gonna have to talk about this because that is okay. just revealing. Okay, so anyway, back at the place, all the other AI—I guess there was more than three because a whole bunch of them are being arrested. And Nick's like back to being Nick. He puts the suit back on. He gets onto the big like Grand Inquisitor screen and talks to all the Shield people and tells them, you know, I'm still in charge. And they're all like, "Yes, yes, we're so glad you're still in charge." Um, meanwhile, Sitwell is following Royale with on cheese. A, uh, Royale with cheese on a little motor scooter, motor flying motor scooter thing that he's got. And Royale goes into the secret entrance in a cave. But before Sitwell can even report it in, like it just blows up, and the dude seemingly dies. And so Sitwell reports that, and they're like, "Okay, well that's weird. You know what? Let's review some stuff that we've collected." 
in our brief series here. So Gabe and Dum Dum and Nick, after they reunite comically, kind of, because they're all excited to see each other, they go to the like the vault or it's like a hydro just, – just where they store the hydro stuff they've captured. And they start really going through it, all the documents. And at some point, Nick finds a document that says, that says Hydra can never be killed. Although you have captured Hydra's body, its head is still free. And they're like, gee, I wonder what that means. And then the letter blows up and then a laser – comes through the wall and hits Nick. Luckily, he has a, 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 like a special explosive thread stuff, he says. So he just rips off his jacket and then throws it out the window and it blows up or something like that. Um, so now there's a big old hole where the wall used to be. And they're kind of like, you know, I don't think Hydra's uh, uh, as over as we thought it was. And then it says next month, just to confirm this, the return of Hydra. Enough said. Yeah. Some yeah. of the some of the scripting for the how Hydra is still alive is a little bit clunky. Like this, the plural of it is them is very much a C for Catwoman kind of thing. Yes, the ending. But, I, I liked all of this until that very ending, and it just seemed really kind of tacked on and too easy or something. I think the idea is that the Hydra is many headed, mm-hmm. and so Hydra is like a plurality, mm-hmm. which is what them is. So the them refers yeah. to the many heads of Hydra, but it's still yeah. a little bit awkward. But It's awkward, and the art towards the end with the laser blast in particular kind of makes me not understand what happened exactly. Like, look, some kind of ray is coming through the wall. My shirt is made of explosive thread. It's What? And then he like has to throw his shirt out the window or it blows up, so it's like... Did they make it explode or did his shirt explode because that's what it's supposed to do? And if that's what it's supposed to do, that seems like the worst shirt ever. And um, uh, yeah, I didn't get all that. The way I read it, I'm not saying it's good, but the way I read it is that the shirt was explosive so that he could use it as a weapon. Oh. But then the ray fired him and like was igniting oh, his shirt. Oh, okay. That works. So uncontrolled explosive kind of thing. That works. And I also just don't buy that they already haven't combed through all this evidence a billion times when they collected it in the first place. Like right. They, have, they re- never read that paper before. Anyway, but outside of that, my complaints, I liked a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, oh gosh, the, reading reading everything all together like this for the last couple months has been really very much like reading a multi-layered book. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've got plot threads spinning out of different series. And it's rare that you, like, have to have read something to understand something else. But this is kind of one of those moments. Like, this is a big reveal. And if you haven't been reading everything, or at least the right parts of everything, then you won't know what it's revealing. Okay, so we're talking about Gabe. because Yeah, I'm sorry, Gabe Jones, yeah. I didn't. He's the freaking dude in the clunky Iron Man tank suit thing. He must. I don't be. know what you mean. Okay. Well, that's how he killed them all. He threw a bomb. They blew up. He took his robe off, and underneath he had armor on. Yes, yes. I'm sorry. That's right. He did. He yeah. had the armor so on was underneath. Gabe. His, that was Gabe Jones. So what we're saying is, Shield like assigned him to go murder a group of people. That's pretty hardcore. Or at least to infiltrate them, and then at some point it was decided that killing them all was the necessary choice. I don't know. Well, yeah. actually. I'm assuming they're dead. Maybe they're not dead. Maybe I think they, they're pretty dead. Maybe he just knocked them out. I don't know. Secret oh, Empire's going to be off grenade. the table for a while. Stun grenade. Okay. That's not as bad. He just probably arrested them. Oh, did he stun grenade them all? Yeah. 
That's less uh, hardcore, but at least it's like, okay, good. Kids are for comics are for kids still. Awesome. Mm. Wow. I did not put all that together. For some reason, I thought we hadn't read Tales to Astonish yet. And I was going to comment like that this was all being handled out of order and it was kind of weird. But yeah, okay. Well, the one part that is a little weird is that, and we're going to talk about this more next episode. I think it's next episode. The next time we get to an Astonish issue, which may be a couple of episodes from now, but um, the stuff with number one and right. doesn't really doesn't really jive up with all of this. They kind of just make comments about him, but he's kind of doing his own thing. Yeah, and his his reasons for what he's doing aren't really borne out by the actual stories happening. Mm-hmm. But but anyways, right, right. this okay. part I thought was cool. It is very cool. I kind of want to see that story. I want to see the twelve parter where Gabe Jones infiltrates the Secret Empire. <laughs> How did that happen? And as much as I've read these other chapters before, which has been two or three times, I've never read this entire thing in order, paying attention to the bits as they happen. Mm-hmm. This is the first I've actually seen how it all played out the way it was done. And it, yeah, I'm happy. I'm a happy fan. I kind of feel like then this is even more has to be happenstance. Like he was just returning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's just driving back. He, he <laughs> Which is hilarious. Just heading home. Runs yeah. across a couple of aimers, and they're <laughs> I like, love how they just get in. It's just crazy. It's just awesome. You're, you're aim. I'm Secret Empire. We both work for them. Let's all drive together. We can trust this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Stillwell takes the cake also in this because uh-huh. he's totally telling the leaders of America what to do, mm-hmm. when to do it, mm-hmm. and shut up otherwise. Nick gave him a lot to do. Yep. Yeah, and he's pretty awesome. And I don't believe Royale's dead. That's too easy. Uh, did he? Uh, I'm trying to remember. He drove into the. He drove, he into, drove the into the old cave a building, and it blew up. Um, but they don't know why. I thought it was just because it was an old aim. What was it? There's no radiation. Nothing left of aim. Nothing but rubble. Conventional explosion. So they don't really explain it. So it's a mystery. So is that just a cover up, or are they trying to get rid of him? Mm. I'm just trying to figure out. I feel like there was something that said exactly why it blew up. But oh. I don't know. I didn't. I'm just trying to scan that. the uh, the narrative here. I don't see anything. Okay. Um, he probably right, comes so yeah. back as uh, as uh, Hydra, you know, as uh, Baron Strucker or something. I, I I do think he's gone. Okay. But I just don't remember exactly how, how and why this played out the way it was. I'll send some of Tony Stark's eggheads out to go over the ruins. I got a hunch someone bigger than AIM finished them off when their usefulness ended. Hydra. So that's another option. Sure. So yeah, Hydra just blew up AIM headquarters and Royale just happened to be at the exact right place at the exact wrong time. Or they knew he was, or they waited for him to come home first. That's also possible that they potentially killed him. Yeah. So yeah, lots of stuff coming together. Uh, Really liked the reunion scene like you said it's it's very humorous whenever they all see each other mm-hmm. um a little bit clunky writing to when they put everything together but the idea i like is just a little bit scripted i would say this is probably i mean we've had multiple uh story arcs in the series and this is probably the best one in terms of how it wrapped up i don't know because mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't like the uh who was it? The fixer and the fixer and mental whatever. That was lame two parter, but this one was pretty good. I liked it. 
I don't know that I want to see Hydra again already, but that's okay. Shield and Hydra is kind of a thing. It has been a while. It has been like a year since they were here. Has it? Okay. Seems like we just finished that up somehow, but maybe not. Okay. No, you know, I could be making that up because it's only started with 135. So it's only been going for 15 issues. So yeah. I guess it's it's been gone for half the time. I don't know. Well, maybe if the daughter's in charge, I'll be into it. That'd be cool. The, the, there were two things I wanted to mention before we go. Um, one... Dum Dum is very much like basically being Sergeant Fury in the opening scenes when he's yelling at everyone. Uh-huh. But also, I was very amused by the connective connectivity between last chapter and this. We ended last issue with AIM raiding S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters uh-huh. looking for LMDs. Uh-huh. So Nick Fury bailed on his hearing, teamed up with Dugan, made a beeline for S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters and took up residence as a fake life model decoy just in time to get captured. I know. That timing was a little messed up. Or he had or Shield has Rigelian transporter tech or something like that. Yeah, could be. Could be D- demolish you in one place and re- remolish you somewhere else. I guess like I don't know, like if he jumped out the window, I mean it depends on how far he had to travel is how that works, and we don't know really. So, apparently not that far. All right. All right. Um, last story of tonight, today. Last episode. story of the episode. And this is going to be a quick summary for me because it is a magic, 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 magic thing. And I don't really care to focus on that too much. So if Kalu should triumph, if you don't know that the evil Kalu, freed from 500 years exile in the nameless dimension, has returned to exact vengeance upon his former companion, the wise venerated ancient one stick around maybe you'll find out who says this isn't the marvel age of sneaky synopsis editing stanley writing denny o'neill art bill everett lettering sam rosen technical advice the Forbush family ghost i'm not even gonna open the thing i'm just gonna go by memory like old school because uh, okay so there's like a big fight um that's what that's what the last issue ended is is uh kalu attacking them in their own mansion and there's this verbiage in there, something the Ancient One's like, he's not going to be weak enough to attack until we let him attack us completely. And that's just what I can't really wrap my brain around. I don't understand it. But Kalu is standing out in the street, and he's shooting energy beams into the mansion at them. And, like, weird creatures are forming. And the whole issue is basically Doctor Strange and Ancient One suffering this because they can't attack back until the complete energy is in the mansion and then they can or something i don't know uh while this is happening there's like bystanders and cops that try and interfere with kalu to no avail ultimately you know he does the eye thing eye of agamotto thing and he tries to use his cape at one point but ultimately kalu like casts a spell that completely wipes out like everything inside the sanctum And then he's all happy and he goes inside and he's like, yay, I won. (gasps) Where are the bodies? No. How could they have escaped? That's not possible. And he throws a temper tantrum. And while he's doing that, the last panel focuses on these two candles that may or may not be important. Next month, the conquest of Kalu. So, yeah, that was a really quick synopsis because I just don't want to go into the details of this magic thing that just – Went on and on and on. You know, it's funny. Mm-hmm. This has so many of the traits of Doctor Strange stories I don't enjoy, but I kind of dug this one. Mm. Um, it's not very deep. 
No. But it does feel like the stakes are high. Mm-hmm. This is a super powerful guy, and not even the Ancient One and Doctor Strange together can beat him. Um, the bit of Kalu busting in and they're being mysteriously gone was cool. Mm-hmm. And I really like when it, uh, Denny O'Neill's been doing this, the juxtaposition of very normal people outside who just don't get what's going on combined with the Doctor Strange, you know, over, over the top magiciness. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that. That was the best part. And the ending was the best part. You're right. Those are the two parts that I also liked. But also the parts I don't love, and I don't know how to get around this because that's just the way it is. As much as I love watching Thor beat up things for 20 pages, I don't really love, you know, Doctor Strange talking about his magic for 20 pages. I just don't, Mm -hmm. I just can't get into it. Like, oh, he's casting this. Well, I'll cast this. Well, he's casting this. Well, I'll cast this. But in this one in particular, it was like, let me find the freaking dialogue where he says it. He says, we are helpless so long as the demons are in contact with Kalu. We must wait until they have completely passed through his deadly barrier. So he put a barrier around the thing, and then he's throwing demons in there. But as long as they're tethered to Kalu, they can't fight back. So they just suffer punches and stuff mm-hmm. until they're not tethered, I guess. I don't know. I couldn't wrap my brain around that. I was wondering, page three, Kalu says that he can do basically whatever he wants forever and ever mm-hmm. so i'm wondering so why did you choose to dress yourself like a go ranger <laughs> especially was that the outfit you wore 500 years ago because right it doesn't seem that old he's Seems even got the advanced. three three v shapes like like they had on their chests yeah and ming the merciless okay okay do me a favor mike mm. go go to the first page okay now i want you to remember how sex worked in the barbarella film Okay. And look at Doctor Strange, the ancient one. <laughs> yep. And tell me that's not what they're doing. <laughs> that's it. Oh, it's a whole thing. It's it's an interesting image. Oh, it looks like they're enjoying it. Yeah. You get more power to the ancient one. This is our last Denny O'Neill script. Oh, boy. That was fast. He does a lot of non-superhero work for Marvel and then switches over to DC in a couple of years. And other than one random issue of the X-Men way down the road, he does not touch Marvel superheroes again until 1980. Well, it's funny. We're getting like to where we're having less of these half books. In fact, we're down to two now, right? Suspense and Astonish and uh, Strange Tales. Oh, we're down to, we still have three. Wow. We still have the same amount we always had, maybe. But like, I feel like it's not fair because they don't have room to breathe like spider-man or something so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. last issue we got some hints that he's having money problems and i thought well that's fun real world things maybe he'll get a real world supporting cast but it's like how do you develop that when you've only got five pages to have a magic fight you know and like in a 20 page comic let's say you take a tell a story that takes two issues Mm -hmm. in the first issue you can have a good chunk of subplot and character scenes Mm -hmm. And in the second issue, more action and a small amount of subplot and character scenes. Mm -hmm. And in this, it's like at the beginning of an arc, they'll do their subplot and character scenes. But then it's like three, four, five chapters Mm -hmm. of just the action. Mm -hmm. And it it's it feels like it's more pages and takes longer to work itself out. But maybe that is also partly Doctor Strange's fault, because I don't feel as the same way exactly about like Iron Man, for instance. He seems to have... Mm -hmm a lot of subplot going on despite being half a book. Now, I don't know what may or may not matter is that the first stories in these two books get actually two extra pages 
compared to the backstories. Oh, wow. So Iron Man and Submariner and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. are all 12 pagers. Captain America, the Hulk, and Doctor Strange are 10 pagers. That's funny because I would say those are the three guys that don't seem to have a lot of <laughs> subplots. So. so maybe those two pages really are making a difference in those <laughs> maybe, other stories. Maybe, yeah. Maybe you they all need their so, books. It yeah. is a twenty percent increase, and that's a, that's a lot of you know percentage. Yeah. Back in the day when there was nine panels per page, you could, you could get a lot of dialogue in two pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I feel kind of bad because we had a new artist on the previous story, Ogden Whitney, mm-hmm. and I just did look him up just to kind of see who that was. He uh he did a whole lot of non superhero work for Marvel. So he's doing Two Gun Kid. He's doing Millie the Model. Uh, but he is best known as the co-creator of the aviator hero Skyman. Oh. And um, the super-powered novelty character Herbie Popnecker. Okay. And his alter ego, the satiric superhero, the Fat Fury. Wow. Um, but he was mainly active in the 30s and 40s, although he did stick around until the 60s. He died in the early 70s. But he had enough of an impact on the industry that he was uh, inducted into the Will Eisner Award Hall of Fame as a judge's oh. choice. Wow. So he, even though we haven't heard his name before and it was just kind of randomly there, like, where did this come from in the Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. story? He is a person, a person of some accomplishment. If we'd been covering Two Gun Kid this whole time, we would have known who. We would have known. I still feel like Two Gun is the only one getting away from us. Like, I don't care about Billy the Models so much. I wonder if stuff is cool in Two Gun Kid. It sounds cool. You should you should just read them during the. Uh, I can't do week. anything without making a podcast out of it. I've already figured this out for myself. <laughs> like there's zero chance I'm just going to do anything for my own personal gratification. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up. Yes. What's um, their homework? So, homework. Next issue episode. Next episode. You should read four comic books. Tales of Suspense eighty two. The Avengers, 32. I'm visualizing in my head somebody's like frantically writing these down. <laughs> With their tongue out, yeah. The Fantastic Four, 55. Amazing Spider-Man, 41. And now, kids, set your secret decoder ring <laughs> to Mercury, I code was number one. literally going to say, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. <laughs> right? It's a bloody commercial. <laughs> what? All right, so those are our four comics for next episode. Mike, where can they find us? Uh, I think we're still at makearsmarvel.com. You will find the links to Facebook and, more importantly, Twitter. And you'll see all the episodes there. You'll find links to RSS, popular RSS feed apps, or you could just type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite app, which should work. And you can also use the contact form or write us directly at podcast at makearsmarvel.com. All right. Um, I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. We tweet about comics and the things that we uh, read and talk about and all sorts of fun stuff. So you should go follow us. My other shows are Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, which will probably soon. No, I'm not ready to announce that yet. Never mind. Uh, also, all the pouches and image comics podcast. Um, and. I haven't updated it for a while because I've been really consumed with Superman reading yet lately. But there is a um, Twitter thread uh, account I've been doing about all the times that Logan calls Xavier Charlie or Chuck. Because mm-hmm. it really just gets under Xavier's skin. So yeah, I think that wraps us up, right? I think so. All right, so 
with a tip of the hat to Mike for this one. Be here next time. So until then, or until Ego, the living planet, is played by David Hasselhoff, make ours marvel. <laughs>